You know, there's certain things, you know, especially if you watch the news or whatever, that can get you uh, disappointed, can get you a little despondent, right, or just put uh, sort of a bad taste in your mouth, kind of like seeing Joe Croto in an Oreo costume. <laughs> I mean, Joe, you're supposed to want people to eat more Oreos. I mean, I don't know if that was a good play or not. Uh, I'm just, I can tease Joe, because I know he, he likes it. Um, <laughs> no, on a, more, on a more serious level, though, there are things, right, where they disappoint us. Um, and life can be so unfair. You know, again, if you watch the news and you saw, uh, I, again, uh, those folks from, that were just trying to evacuate some Afghani citizens who had helped us, and, and they get killed. And it's just not fair, right? Life is, is unfair. And uh, again, in this pandemic, we, we see you know, people serving the Lord. They get sick. They die. And it just life is unfair. And it can cause us to be disappointed, especially if we start to think and get a little mixed up and say, you know, life is unfair. God is powerful. And then we start to think, well, maybe God's unfair. We start to think that, you know, our, I guess I should say our disappointment starts to overshadow our hope, even if we're Christians. And when that happens, we, again, start to, to walk in the shadows instead of walking in the light of Christ. And so as we look today, we're finishing up our series on encountering Jesus, where we've been looking in the Gospel of Luke at the various uh, incidents where Jesus would encounter someone and really change their perspective, change their life. And then we're looking and saying, all right, well, how can that um, inform how we encounter Jesus today? And uh, so we actually go towards the end Right? end of Luke, so Luke chapter 24, and by the way, I mentioned this earlier, but we, we've been hitting different episodes in Luke, but if you want to go through the Gospel of Luke in a more thorough way, again, Mickey is, uh, on Wednesday, is starting a, a study, and it's going through the whole Gospel of Luke, and that's Wednesdays at 12. That's not Wednesday night. That's a Wednesday afternoon study, if you want to look in it more. And we, we come to this point where we, we see... Jesus encounter two disciples who were disappointed, two disciples who were becoming despondent after the crucifixion. They just saw the, the one they had followed crucified and tortured, and they were walking along the way, and let's see what happens. So this is Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. So that very day, uh, this is Easter morning, um, and so just for context's sake, some women went to the tomb. They found it em empty. They go back to the disciples and tell them, and these two of these disciples, they, they're going somewhere, right? So they hear some crazy things are going on, but nonetheless, they're walking uh, along to this place called Emmaus. So verse 13, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Clopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened uh, these 
uh, in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, this is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So interesting, uh, I'm going to stop there, we'll continue reading in a moment. It's interesting, these two men, one of them is named Clopas, the other one, I don't know, they don't give his name, but they're walking along to Emmaus, and Jesus comes alongside and starts walking with them, but it says their eyes are kept from, so they don't recognize Jesus. Now, why? Well, it, it doesn't say, did God sort of make sure they didn't recognize, or did they just not recognize him because they weren't expecting him to be alive? After all, they saw him be crucified, but for whatever reason, they don't recognize Jesus as he walks along with them. And it's interesting. They, Jesus comes and, and kind of says, hey, what's going on, guys? And they're like, haven't you heard? And they start, it, it, verse 17 says, they stood still. As they started to tell about what happened, it says, they stood still looking sad. And then notice, after describing Jesus' crucifixion in verse 21, it says, he had hoped, well, we had hoped that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. See, they had hoped that, that Jesus was going to redeem Israel, but there's this little thing that if, if dead people tend to stop doing what they were doing. And, and so they're full of disappointment. They said, no, this is what we had hoped, but, uh, you know, obviously that's not going to happen. They felt disappointed. And even though they knew, well, some weird things are going on. Uh, these women saw the em empty tomb. Some of our, our peeps, they, they saw the empty tomb. But nonetheless, any hope that they had, because they had hoped he'd redeem Israel, any hope that they had was overshadowed by disappointment. By disappointment. They had hoped that the one they were following would redeem Israel. And maybe that's some of you here today or watching online. You're feeling dis disappointment for whatever reason. You had hoped. Yeah, you still understand that Jesus was this great teacher, but perhaps you had hoped he was going to redeem your child, and your child is still not walking with the Lord. Perhaps you had hoped that God was going to heal a loved one, and that loved one has not been healed. You had hoped. But now that hope is covered with disappointment. And again, as a pastor, I have seen so many folks who have started in the hope of Christ. But then their disappointment overshadows that hope. And some of them no longer follow Jesus. Some of them are walk were, were walking with Jesus, but they no longer recognize him. And maybe that's someone here today. But what if? What if, like these two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus, 
that, that Jesus is walking with you, that the Spirit is with you, but you just don't happen to recognize it. I mean, these guys walked with the flesh and blood, Jesus, for three years, and they don't recognize it. Could it be that Jesus is walking with us? Perhaps he is present now, but do you recognize him? The ones on the road did not. And what's interesting is Jesus, in our next section, as we now start on verse 25, Jesus, he opens their eyes. He, he almost says, listen, you, you don't understand what God has done, and therefore you don't recognize what he is doing right now. And perhaps that's some of us right now. That we really don't recognize what Jesus, what God has done, and therefore when Jesus walks with us, we don't see it. That's what Jesus says when he calls out these two in verse 25. So verse 25, and Jesus said to them, oh foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them all the scriptures, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village which they were going, and Jesus acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. What's interesting here is, so Jesus, he, um, he, he calls them out a bit and says, you know, listen, you're just talking about this Jesus fella <laughs> dying, and now therefore you had hope, but now you seem to have lost hope, and he opens up the scriptures to them. You see, one of the things that happens when we're disappointed, especially if it's personal, right, especially if there's a personal disappointment where we really had hoped that, that God would intervene in a, in a certain way and, and we don't see that, especially when it's personal, right, we can get so wrapped up in those things that we forget what God has done. Our perspective becomes trapped, in our situation. And so Jesus, he opens the scriptures to them. He starts to explain, hey, wait, get your eyes off the circumstances and onto God's word, onto God's plan. And it changes their perspective. It changes their perspective because that's the problem. Our perspective can be so small. It can, and really we can't help it, right? <laughs> I mean, we're, we're small. We, can, we can't be everywhere at once. We only have a certain amount of circumstances, a certain amount of experiences. And so even when we expand our mind, even when we travel the world, our perspective is still so small. And so Jesus, as he's going along inside them and, and they're not seeing him or, or whatever, he opens the scriptures to them. And they start, as we're going to see, they start to see. And so maybe that's, some of us here today, is that our perspective is so trapped, it's so small, and so that as, as our disappointment is overshadowing our hope, that what we really need is to go back to what God has already done, what God has revealed in his scriptures, his plan, so that then we start to see things in a new way. Then we start to see that our hope is bigger than our circumstances. And that's what Jesus does for these two guys. Now, I, I say this, but I'm assuming a couple things that aren't very popular in our culture. And one is that, you know, our hope 
is found in God, in Christ. See, so many times what we do is we want to fit God into our hope. But no, no, our hope fits into him. That's where we find our hope. That's where we find our plan and purpose, when we find ourselves in Christ. So many times, religious folks, what they try to do is they try to get Christ, they try to get God to fit into their lives. No, that's the opposite. The right way is to, how do we find our purpose, find our greater perspective in God, not the other way around. And the other thing I'm assuming, and I'm assuming it because Jesus assumed it, is that scripture is God's divine revelation. That this isn't just some storybook a few dudes got together and wrote, but that this is God through the Holy Spirit speaking to human prophets and authors to reveal his plan and his purposes for the world. And I'm assuming that because, I mean, Jesus assumed that, right? He opens the scriptures to them and he wants them to see everything that's in it. And so that's why I say if you want to open your perspective, if you want to receive all that God has for you in his plan, you need to open the scriptures. Don't just look at your circumstances. Don't just look at the things around you because then you will be disappointed. You will be despondent because things in life can be unfair. Things in life can be disappointing. But if we get up out of ourselves, we start to see God, the, our hope in God. All right, let's continue reading. So now we're on verse 30. So Jesus, he goes in to stay with them, right? And it says in verse 30, when Jesus was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Then they, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. So interesting here how they finally recognize him. And it says when he broke the bread. So how did that happen? Was it because when he broke the bread, some authors say that when he broke the bread, they could actually see the, the nail marks on his wrists? Or maybe just in the manner because they had eaten with him so much or God just decided to open their eyes. But whatever happened, their eyes were opened to who he uh, really was. It all came together. And any sort of last vestige of unbelief or who is this, it, it it goes away, as Jesus recognized. And, and their hope, right? They had hoped he would redeem Israel. Now, and they were disappointed, but now they see, wait a minute, my hope is alive. Our hope is alive. And so they run back to Jerusalem and tell everyone. Tell everyone what they saw. And meanwhile, they're saying, oh yeah, well, you guys saw, must have seen Jesus on the road. Well, Simon, uh, Jesus appeared to Simon Peter as well. And, and they just start talking about that. But look at verse 32. When Jesus goes away, it says, they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road and while he was explaining the scripture to us? Jesus' words, they had a weight to them. They had, they had something in them that was not just of human origin. And maybe that's some of you here today where when the, the scripture is read or maybe as we're reading this scripture now, 
There's something within you that burns inside you, and you know that this is more than just the word of people, that this is Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Our hope is alive. Amen? Give him a praise offering because he lives. So sometimes, right, we we gather as a church. One of the reasons that we gather is because we trust that our hope is alive and that when we gather in the name of Jesus, he is here in our midst, that he still lives. And in the person of the Holy Spirit, he can fill this place. He can change our lives today. And even if when you walked in here, if you did not recognize that he was here, perhaps now you feel in in your heart there's this burning that there's something going on here that's greater than just the sum of its parts, that just a bunch of people getting together, talking about some dead guy. No, Jesus lives. The Holy Spirit is here. Amen. That aha moment. These disciples, these two disciples had that aha moment. Well, I want to continue here because after the two men, they run back, they tell the others they encountered Jesus. Then Jesus, he appears to the whole bunch of them. Right? The whole bunch of them. So in verse 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they had seen a spirit. And Jesus said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for his spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Right, I want to finish reading this section, but just, you know, what's going on there? Well, people back then, like, even now, like, they, they believed in ghosts and whatnot or whatever. And Jesus wants to make them, them understand, no, no, this, is not, this isn't some hum- hallucination. This is, I'm not just some ghost. I'm not Casper the friendly ghost or anything. Um, he... He, he has them touch his hands. This is the risen Jesus, the flesh and blood risen Jesus. And then he even eats something to show them that their hope is alive. It's not just some theory, that Jesus is not just some nice theory, this a spirit come back. No, he is alive. He is defeated, sin, death. That cross could not hold him. That he was in pain. He was suffering. He literally died for us. And he literally, in the flesh, returned. And this is so important. This is so important because when we go into difficulties, when we go into suffering, when we're disappointed because the unfairness of life is bearing down on us, and there was nothing more unfair than the king of glory, the innocent, perfect son of God being tortured on a Roman cross. There was nothing more unjust than that. But God had the last word. God has the last word. Because Jesus rose from the dead, and there he is in the flesh. He says, give me something to eat. He eats it, and it shows that their hope is alive. 
Their hope is alive. Now let me continue reading. Then Jesus said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple, blessing God. Amen. Amen. So again, it is so important to understand that, and Jesus, he opens again the scriptures to them right? He just did it with those two, but he's like, well, uh, just in case these two don't tell you what I told them, (laughs) he opens the scriptures again to them to show that whatever they thought, whatever disappointment they were going through, that this was not outside God's plan, that this was not outside God's control, and yet God took the unfairness, the injustice of life, and he's turning it into triumph, not just for Jesus, but to anyone who would call upon his name. And that's why he said, hey, this message, I'm telling you, it's written in the scripture, and now this message, I want it to go out. It's gonna start with you, and then you're gonna tell it. Start in Jerusalem and go tell it everywhere, and you're not gonna be alone. That Jesus is going to go with them in in the person of the Holy Spirit. Right now, now Chris Raker teaches some theology courses, and so he could probably tell us some good things about how, you know, each person of the Trinity is involved in every one of the other operations. But let's just say that Jesus is the person of the Holy Spirit, right, is going to go with them. They receive power on Pentecost to go tell this message that this, this is not the end. That the unfairness of life, the injustice is not the end. It does not have the last word. That God has the last word. And he's bringing redemption. You know, in uh, in his book, uh, Disappointment with God, uh, Philip Yancey, I don't know if you've ever read any books by him, kind of looks like Bob Ross, uh, which is why one of the reasons I appreciate him. but he, he interviews, for this book, Disappointment with God, he, he goes and he interviews several people whose, whose disappointments with God, so things happened to them that they, um, you know, they, they prayed and something didn't happen or, or just they were disappointed with the church. They were just disappointed with God. And, and so he interviews them all and, and why they left the faith because of their disappointment with God. Uh, people who stopped seeing Jesus walking with them say, no, God's not here. And one of the things that he found was that a lot of them, it was made worse by fluff. <laughs> what do I mean by that? Is that, you know, as they were struggling with disappointments and, and, and with life, but then also with God, that, you know, certain preachers or TV preachers would just try to, just try to hype them up, right? Like, turn your scars into stars and all of this stuff. And and the problem is, is that when you're truly going through disappointment and, and your heart is broken or your heart is, is dead, hype doesn't bring it back to life. But the hope in Christ, that truly brings it back to life. 
And so we don't need a slogan. We need the living Jesus to, to show up and to bring our hearts to life again. And, and he interviews this one guy who exactly that's what happens. All right? he, he interviews this, his friend named Douglas. And if, if anyone would be so disappointed with God that they might turn their back on him, it would have been Douglas. You see, Douglas' wife was battling cancer. And, and his, uh, his wife had to have all sorts of surgery, and, and he's bringing her to the hospital day after day. She's not quite getting better. She's just sort of hanging on there. But he, as, his, you know, as a de- devoted husband, he's looking after her, caring for all of her needs, but praying that she would be healed. And one day on his way to, I don't know if it was to the hospital or whatever, he was hit by a drunk driver. And although it didn't hurt his wife and didn't hurt his daughter, it gave him excruciating headaches. Headaches so bad that he had trouble taking care of his wife. So when Philip Yancey, he's interviewing, he's like, surely, you know, you you must be disappointed with God. I mean, if anyone has a reason, you know, it it would be you. And let me tell you, I'm going to read a quote from him. This is what the guy said. He says, no. No, I'm not, I'm not disappointed with God. And this, I'm going to read a quote from him. He says, if we tend to think life should be fair because God is fair, but God is more than life. And if I confuse God with the physical realities of life by expecting, by expecting constant good health, for example, then I set myself up for disappointment. God's existence and love for me do not depend on my good health. And what he says, I really want us to pay attention now. He says, go read the story of Jesus' life. Was life fair to him? You see, sometimes we think that if, well, you know, maybe God is punishing me because I've done something wrong or whatever. Life's not fair because I'm not fair and all of this. Well, look at the story of Jesus. I mean, he was perfect. He followed the God, God's will perfectly, and yet he was crucified on the cross. You see, life is unfair. The cross should, as this guy says, demolish the basic assumption that life is fair. But it also should demolish the notion forever that that somehow God doesn't, yeah, life's unfair and God doesn't do anything about it. That, That life is unfair, but God doesn't care. Because on the cross, Jesus suffered the greatest unfairness that was ever there, the biggest injustice that the world could muster. And he did this not because he had to, but to blaze a trail through the suffering, through the disappointment, so that even as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death or we walk through the difficulties of life, Jesus is there and he's not just walking with us in life. He has a plan and a purpose and a destination for us, a time and a place called eternal life where all of the disappointments are gone. And he will come back, he will return, and he'll do away with all those things. But until that time, don't think that just because life is unfair, it means God is unfair. Because he died for you, to redeem you, to give you a hope beyond the circumstances. And so you might be saying, yeah, well, then why doesn't God just get rid of all the unfairness? Well, he will. He will. But I'm so thankful that he's waited. Why? Because otherwise he'd have to, he'd have to do away with me. 
Because I've got sin. I don't just, I'm not just a victim of injustice and unfairness. Sometimes I've perpetuated it. So if God was to do away with all unfairness, all sin, he would have had to do away with me. So I'm so thankful that Jesus came and took the cross, took the pain, took the punishment, took the unfairness so that I don't have to live eternally in that unfairness, but I can live eternally in the grace and mercy of God. And so if you're here today, and we've all gone through disappointments in life, and maybe right now you are struggling with something, and you're wondering, you know, where's God? Where's God in this? Where's Jesus now? I can tell you, he is here. That Jesus in the person of the Holy Spirit, he's, he is here, and that burning that perhaps you feel in your heart, and that's not yesterday's pizza. That's the Holy Spirit saying, saying, turn to this Jesus. He wants to open your eyes. And that's the message, right? This message I just gave, that's, it's not something I made up, right? It's, it's something I saw in this, I found in the scriptures. The scriptures tell us this. And so whether you're here or you're watching online, again, don't let that still small voice just go away. The, your hope is alive. He's been alive, and perhaps he's right here now with you, wanting to call you home to himself, wanting you to have a new life, a new hope that doesn't die with your circumstances, that's not based on your circumstances. And so if that's you, just say yes. As we pray and we sing the final song, just say, God, open my eyes. Let me see as you, as we sing this song, let me see you for who you really are. Take me up out of my perspective and into your plan. Open up the scriptures when you get home and ask to him to reveal to you all that he asks for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we do ask that. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that you are present among us, not because of our goodness or anything, but because that's what you do, God. You walk alongside your people. And Lord, we, we, we ask your forgiveness for the ways that we have not seen your work in our lives. We ask your forgiveness for the ways we haven't seen your plan in the past. But open our eyes now, Lord, so that we would see your goodness, that we would see how you've taken on all the unfairness. And God, I pray that if there's any here or online who are struggling and trapped in their circumstances where they feel their hope their hope is being overshadowed by their disappointment. God, would you let your living hope just shine through them in, in Christ Jesus. Do that in us and through us today so, so, Lord, we can continue to praise you no matter what's going on in this world. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.